Sorry? Good afternoon. You are listening to the PC Invasion podcast. I am your host, Flux. I run our Diablo site and talking to a developer of a, a brand new, just succeeding very well in Kickstarter, ARPG. This is Daniel. How do you say your last name, Daniel? Daniel Deluis. Very good. And what game are you working on? I'm working on Umbra, so it's an action RPG really inspired by uh, the Diablo franchise, and we are mixing some mechanics from other games such as uh, the Alice Calls uh, series and, um, well, some other uh, hack and slash, uh, so I will tell more about that just after. And you just had a successful Kickstarter launch. You have reached your goal, and you have, what, a week and a half to go still? Uh, yeah, so um, actually we have reached the amount for the initial funding, which is uh, mostly um, focusing on a single player campaign. And uh, now we are going on the stretch goal to get some multiplayer modes in the game. So we are really uh, excited to uh, to reach them and uh, develop the game as a multiplayer, uh, multiplayer game too. And your Kickstarter page has a tremendous amount of info. You've got a lot of, you know, you've got tech reels and lots of information. You guys are doing developer blogs, talking about the design and of all sorts of features. And we could easily do a whole interview just talking about all the stuff on your webpage already. But obviously, we are encouraging people who are interested to check it out. You've got a lot yeah. of visual information and technical. And I don't, I don't want you just to read your Kickstarter from back to me live, right? That would be kind of boring. So, But just, you know, briefly speaking, you know, for people who don't know anything about your project, how long have you been working on it? What's your background in this? You know, you've, you've had years of work into this. It's not like you just threw up some concept art and said, hey, give us money. Yeah. So um, the development of Umbra started about four years ago. Uh, in the beginning, it was uh, just aiming to be some kind of uh, modding platform for an open sourcing for uh, people who wanted to turn the, the crisis game into uh, an RPG, uh, into an RPG mod or that kind of stuff. And uh, actually, the more I developed the game, the more I started to orient it into uh, an action RPG uh, system, and uh, simply because that was the kind of game I, I enjoyed the most. And uh, finally, it started to become a real uh, project once uh, all the team members, uh, because in the beginning I was all alone doing that, and then some team members joined me, and we started to develop it as a as a real title, since we had some story we wanted to to tell, etc. So uh, that's how it started. Um, so in the beginning, I also uh, personally come from the modding uh, world. Um, another team member also was really um, um, active on so on the Cry Engine community uh, forums. And uh, another one worked in the video game industry in the past. So, uh, and actually, all the team members, the main team member of the team, we are three full time on, on this. Uh, we are all uh, we all worked in the same company in the past, uh, a company who used Grand Giant for um, industrial and uh, um, urban uh, simulations. And uh, that's how we actually met. And uh, that project, actually, Umbra, was some kind of uh, part-time project in the beginning and slowly became a full-time project. Uh, apart from that, uh, we, um, we had the time, for example, uh, during these four years to find the proper um, tools, the proper partnership, develop our own tools too, to make sure um, the development, the future development will be easier, that kind of things. And, uh, well, thanks to our experience uh, from on Crongine and uh, the many years we spent on the project, we are able now to go on Kickstarter and uh, ask for 
some funding to uh, to end the game. I'm sure people can tell from your accent that you are French. Yes. Are you guys all you guys? There's not a lot of French major gaming development, at least not, not that I'm aware of. Is there a community of French developers that were uh, that Americans might not know more about? Actually, there is a lot of uh, French uh, developers in France. Where we have like studios like uh, Arkane, we have studios like uh, Don't Nod. We have actually some uh, big uh, big um, game developer in France, and there is also a lot of uh, small uh, indie uh, company actually. Uh, but uh, it's a bit underground, of course. But there is there is a lot uh, lot of uh, cool, very cool uh, projects. For example, Swing Swing Submarine, which is another company in France. Um, one company I like uh, is Cyanide uh, because they developed the Blood Bowl um, uh, game. So it's quite a big company, Cyanide. Uh, but uh, I'm mostly focusing on one or two of their games, which I really like, uh, which is the ad- adaptation of the. Um, Blood Bowl game on uh, on computer, so there is actually quite the scene in France. People probably just aren't aware that you know where games are developed so much. There's so much. It's like almost every game comes from the U.S. People just kind of assume they're made in California, but that is not necessarily the case. Not all of it. Yeah, certainly a Path of Exile is uh, New Zealand, so that's yeah, okay. right, right. Speaking of other ARPGs, so that was my next question. So how did you decide to make an ARPG from an engine of a game that's basically an FPS? Um, Are you a big fan of you know the Diablo series? Other other, of course, yeah, foundational yeah. ARPGs you liked in the in the old days. Actually, I, I play a lot of uh, various games, and uh, well, action RPG is of course one of my favorites. And I tried to find, um, I would say, in the beginning, Umbra, the idea from Umbra, so come uh, with uh, this uh, idea of creating some kind of uh, modding platform and. Uh, in the end, the more we were developing it, the more ideas we had for, on, for uh, game mechanics, for the universe, that kind of things. So we started to implement more and more of our own content, content on top of the actual uh, basic system we wanted to have. And that's pretty much how the game was created. And um, so in the main game, I would say that uh, our inf- we are influenced for Umbra, I would say Diablo 2, of course. Uh, Diablo 3 mostly for the quality of action it has. Uh, I mean the over-the-top particle effects, that kind of things, which are really, really nice. Um, uh, I would say Passive Exile also has a lot of um, uh, influence. Um, actually, basically, our potion system is really similar to theirs. Uh, when we wanted to uh, develop our own potion system, we just uh, look to a lot of uh, possibilities, and we just end up saying, okay, that one is much better than any other game. So we pretty much choose to uh, use it, and uh, we are going to implement some um, some uh, mechanics on top of that. For example, the ability to customize them thanks to recipes, that kind of things, which are which is uh, coming from other influences like uh, Elder Scrolls game. Um, so what we tried to implement in, in Umbra also is to have like a very um, free development for your character. So it basically means that uh, we want players who want to play, for example, uh, a barbarian uh, in the middle of an horde of undead to be able to do so. Uh, so we have mechanics to uh, to balance basically the gameplay to make sure that you can't use, uh, for example, uh, as many fireballs as you want and uh, barbarian skills uh, easily uh, to uh, just for free. Um, so we ba- basically have a system with three resources, rage, stamina, and mana. And when, for example, you gain rage by attacking enemies, you lose uh, some um, some mana and some stamina. So in the in the end, the game balances itself. 
and uh, you have to be uh, careful in the way you play. Um, uh, yeah, that was my next question about the yeah. character creation stuff. Okay. So it looks very free form. I mean, mm. you're only, you know, due to obviously with a small team, you can't make, you know, it's not Diablo 3, you can't make mm. six different, you know, five different characters, totally different graphics, yeah. at least not to start with. Mm. So you have, there's basically one character type, and one of your stretch goals is making a female version of it. Yeah. But you're not just, you know, it's not like you're some game from the 80s where all you can do is swing a sword. You've got lots of different spells and mm. stuff, and your character, as you were just saying, you can choose to specialize in different kind of skills yeah. and play it as, you know, as, as a melee tank or as more of a caster, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, actually, so there is two different uh, things to consider. We make a big difference between um, the character building, which is really large in UMA, and the character visual character personalization. Uh, I mean, for the basic uh, shape of your character, which is a bit more limited, simply because, uh, as you said, we are not uh, we are not Blizzard, so we can't create tons of uh, various heroes. Uh, we have to save money for enemies too. So um, the the thing is that um, so for the basic visual appearance of your character, like uh, his face, his hair, his beard, for example. Uh, we have some uh, few customization possibilities, um, because also from my own uh, experience in the game, usually once you have like an armor on your character, you don't really care about how your character will look in the end. You just uh, do some uh, adjustment on colors for your, uh, for your gears, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, with the isometric view, it's kind of pointless to have like facial modeling anyway, yeah, right? Yeah, so we we just have like, uh, um, what was that? It's like beard, uh, skin uh, skin color, just a few variations, um, hairs, and I mean, they're really limited in the with the initial funding. And it will be a bit, uh, we will add the female character because that's a popular demand, but we will add it as a stretch goal because we wanted to have like, the minimal amount of money we needed to create the game, uh, the basic gameplay system for, for the game, that kind of thing. And female character in some way is a bonus uh, to, to that. So uh, that's, what, that's why we put it as a, as a stretch goal. Now about um, character building on the other side, we are much, much more uh, free and much, much, much op uh, more open. Uh, so the thing is that there is like, uh, let's say three layers of powers in Umbra. Uh, actually, four in some way, because uh, you can, for uh, each level, you will be able to uh, affect um, uh, points into uh, the four stats of the game, which are really close to, uh, to Diablo. So there is strength, dexterity, constitution, and uh, magic, basically. Um, and each of these points will have an impact on your character in the way that, for example, if you have a lot of strength, you will be able to uh, automatically stun, uh, passively stun your enemies when you hit them, for example, if you use uh, blunt weapons. Uh, mm -hmm. If you have like a lot of, um, lot of dexterity, you will be able to dodge better, that kind of thing. Constitution will maybe increase your armor according to your health points, that kind of thing. So uh, we have... Every point you will actually put in um, the stat will really affect your, your character. Then we have uh, the passive skills. So passive skills can be uh, something very classical. It can be like uh, more movement speed, more chance to have gold, more chance to uh, get uh, magic, um, ma magic items. Sorry. And uh, the more um, we actually have several trees um, where you can put points in, and the more points you put in the trees, the better will be uh, the unlock, the new power you will unlock. 
And at some point, you will be able, for example, to get to get uh, new uh, skills in your uh, spell bar. Um, I mean, the the active skills, the skills you can use um, during uh, the gameplay. Par default, you can use six different. And well, one passive skill is getting one or two more. Uh, you will be able, for example, to have uh, 200 weapons in each of your hands, for example. Uh, you will be able to uh, have uh, several mercenaries. Uh, so there is actually a, a pretty fun system in Umbra with the mercenaries. They actually take a percentage of your gold. So if you have several ones, they will take more percentage of the gold you, uh, you get. Um, and you will be able to, uh, to do a lot of uh, other things uh, thanks to the passive skill. Then we have the, the active skills. So the active skills are um, looted as books, just like in Diablo 1. I really like these mechanics. And um, the, the thing is that you will loot them according to the way you play. So if you use a lot of fire skills, you will be more, uh, it will be more probable, probable to get uh, new uh, books of fire skills. Uh, that kind of things. So uh, there is this, uh, these two, three layers of powers, and on top of that, we add the apocalyptic form, but that may be another question you want to ask about. Yeah, just one thing about the skills. I mean, Diablo 1, all the skills were magic stuff, you know. The, the, mm. more war, the warrior didn't get a lot of benefit. I'm assuming you have, you know, whirlwind or dual yes, wheel yes, and yes, those kind of, of things as well. Yes, of course. It's a bit stupid because you, read, uh, you will learn them by reading them in books, but we wanted to have the same, same mechanics for all skills. So yeah, that's will, fair enough. You will have uh, these uh, barbarian skills, these warrior skills, these assassin skills too. You will get them. Well, I did martial arts for years, and it, it does take a lot of practice to get good at using a new weapon or to do a wield or mm. something, so that, that's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, why would, you know, I mean, Harry Potter doesn't need to read books to learn how to live Yosa, right? So, yeah, yeah, uh, right. But the other aspect that's really cool about your character customization is you get visual changes. You know, you get wings or yeah. horns, that kind of thing. The one I thought was interesting, you can, you can grow a third arm and use, a th use three weapons. Yeah, so this is actually a mechanic we call apocalyptic form. So this is not something, unless you find a way to do it, this is not something you will get uh, always per default on your character. Uh, the apocalyptic form is a ultimate power in some ways that every character will have, and according to the way you play, you will unlock, um, uh, let's say, mutation that uh, will um, be able. You will be able to use this mutation, three of them, to create your apocalyptic form. So, for example, you will be able to have more arms, uh, like uh, two, three or four arms, and equip them with new items. Uh, you will be able to uh, have uh, wings and make huge leap uh, in the world and maybe um, maybe reach places you could not reach in the first place. Uh, you will be able to have uh, horns and uh, if you run fast enough and have enough strength, you will you will be able to knock knock out uh, everybody on your on your path. Um, you will be able to have like uh, an aura that will raise undead everywhere uh, when you walk. Um, that kind of thing. And the idea with, um, with apocalyptic form is that during the gameplay, uh, usually you have like a normal hack and slash uh, uh, gameplay, like uh, you have uh, normal mobs, uh, trash mobs, uh, elite mobs, that kind of things. And at some point, we will intentionally uh, spawn a huge threat for your character. And uh, you, will be a, you will have to react to that thanks to the apocalyptic form. So If you don't time correctly your apocalyptic form, it's very possible that you end up dying uh, that way. So that's the idea of uh, the apocalyptic form. Is the idea that you, the same character could get lots of those, 
or could you change like if you stop if you change how you're using your if you're not doing the charge anymore would you lose your horns or something or you would need to make a new character to get lots of different ones of those ultimately? Uh, you mean by rerolling characters? Yeah, I mean, is, is the game meant to be like ultimately replayable, and eventually you have one character that has every kind of ultimate form, or is it just one per character? Uh, no, it's the way we are designing right now is one per character, and uh, it's actually um, is um, it's actually the way we choose to design it because since we assign um, stat points to your character, uh, it won't be that. I would say you can switch from a barbarian uh, skills in some way to a magic skills easily because you already have put some point on strength, you already have put some point in magic, that kind of thing. That's why we uh, we think that it will be better to, for people to uh, to actually reroll some some characters. Now, if there is a huge, uh, we listen to uh, to the community basically and see if there is a huge uh, demand for uh, having uh, the option to full reroll your character, for example, for a huge amount of gold, that kind of thing, we will make it uh, available. But that's not the first direction we want to have. We want to character, uh, people to uh, build their characters the way they want and uh, in some way assume it, in some way, uh, make sure they uh, push it as far as they can and maybe restart from scratch if they didn't like it. For the low-level gameplay, you will be able to re-roll your stuff uh, just, just in case, but at some point it will uh, be uh, permanent. So a little more of a Diablo 2 style, where you actually build a character to a yeah. purpose and you can't just respec completely like Diablo 3 or yeah. other recent games. Exactly. So uh, the last question on that issue is, uh, is balance. I mean, you know, you have amazing lots of, um, mm. you, know, the, you know, the horned aspect and the charging and the wings and all this stuff. It's not totally a multiplayer game to start with, so mm. you don't have to worry about every single person being exactly the same, but it does seem like it's going to be a real challenge to get all these different powers and to keep them roughly in the same area of effectiveness. It will. Uh, that's, that's for sure. It will. For, uh, for the initial, uh, as you said, for the initial, uh, with the initial funding, it's designed as, um, as a single player um, uh, game, so it's less an issue, but uh, it will surely, because I, it's very possible that we uh, it's the multiplayer um, the multiplayer uh, stretch goal, and in that case, yes, there will be a lot of uh, balance uh, stuff to do. Um, and uh, actually, we we aim to start the uh, the early access around um, no- November 2015, so in a few months. And uh, we we really hope that uh, player will be able to uh, to test the game, find, for example, some tricks, that kind of things. We will, we will of course work on it on our side. Uh, we have some ideas to uh, basically make sure that uh, that the game will be uh, will be balanced. But at some point, it became it becomes some kind of Excel uh, Excel things. Uh, basically, you make sure that it's a matching in the end. So uh, there will be uh, there will be a lot of work to do. We are aware of that. So and of course. People like being powerful characters, you know. Of I mean, course, yeah. That's something that the, the Diablo three devs took an amazing amount of time to realize that. But you know, like like yeah. the five most popular class builds in the entire game are in the, the have been in the, in the current patch for the last month and a half, mm. and they're all moving really fast and killing really well. And it, character, it turns out people love having really powerful characters. Yeah, like, you yeah. know. Mm. You, know, yeah. you can obviously you can overdo balance and saying oh well it should always be difficult and a grind. But you know, if people work on a character for months or mm. weeks and find awesome gear. And specialized, they want to be able to stomp stuff. You know, you just don't yeah. want it to be like God mode, and it gets boring. Actually, that's uh, that's in some way the um, the way we uh, the idea that was behind uh, apocalyptic form. So the thing is that 
with um, even with that apocalyptic form, we don't aim to have a huge difficult game like was Diablo 3. Diablo 2 was much more fun on that on that way. You didn't have to uh, to replay and replay and replay to finally get uh, decent character. Um, uh, you had to of course replay uh, a bit, but uh, not as much as in Diablo 3. And actually, the real difficulties is supposed to come with these uh, huge threats we will generate and the the way you will use your apocalyptic form. Well, cool. Obviously, that's that's down the road. That's mm. not currently in the game yet, but you know, it's nice to hear your your plans for that long it's term. It's not in the prototype, but it's uh, in our own. Uh, actually, we'll reveal some of these um, apocalyptic form. I think next week in uh, in an update video. Cool. Well, speaking of uh, of cool visuals, that was another question I had about the using the Crisis Engine. If people have played the game or not, they're probably aware. They've at least seen videos, you know, mm. and it's this really crisp. I remember the early videos of that. You were walking through a jungle and like pushing past palm trees and stuff. You mm. know, but it was very nat- very good sense of nature and trees and foliage. And there's visual effects in your video, in your test videos of, you know, the of the cold effects, freezing all the water around you, or like the grass mm. blowing. So obviously the engine works pretty well for those yeah. kind of explosive things. Well, uh, yeah, it, it surely does. Um, so we have actually uh, quite a lot of experience on the engine too, so it really allows us to uh, to get the most of it, and uh, yeah, it also allows us to um, to really create, for example, some cool mechanics like uh, the ones that uh, manage you said, for example, ice, uh, but an ice uh, area around you, that kind of thing. And we implemented uh, a feature that manage fire, frost, lightning, and uh, water. Uh, together, so that's also a really nice uh, feature we had in, in the game, and uh, the environment of uh, the visual environment really uh, this, uh, serves uh, the feature well. So, um, working with the engine is actually not really uh, difficult. With Crown Engine, it's actually quite easy to get a cool, good-looking scene. It's a bit more difficult to get a really, really nice-looking scene. But uh, yeah, actually, we have like a huge experience on it. We have uh, real, uh, real good partners for. Um, the asset creation and the tools uh, we uh, we needed, so uh, we are really confident to deliver a really nice uh, looking game. And uh, if you went on some stream uh, on some uh, Twitch channel of uh, people actually uh, testing the game, they we they usually say that the uh, the game is quite fluid. And uh, so uh, I'm saying that because I saw that uh, there was like. Um, the down- graphical downgrade for Witcher 3, and we had some question on our Kickstarter. Will you uh, will you reduce the gra- graphical quality? So we said no. We won't reduce the graphical quality. You will be able to play in low uh, if you don't have the uh, perfect uh, a perfect computer. But uh, for people who will play in the highest mode, it will looks like the videos, and it won't be that uh, huge for the performance. Yeah, there's some really cool stuff. People should check out the video for the interactions with the environment. You know, you cast a cold spell, and like you're standing in knee-deep water, and it freezes this whole little pond, and all these mm. these monsters get frozen in the pond, kind of thing. Yeah. And there's other effects like that. You know, as opposed to to mini games like the you know even Diablo three, for instance, there the bat you never interact with the ground. I mean, you run through mm, puddles. Yeah. You know, cold spells don't freeze the puddles, and yeah. you know, there's destructibles, but it's just maybe a wall falls over and hits a monster, but it's very limited in that way. Yeah. And you're actually doing a thing where you know you have a game engine that allows you to do these real interactions. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so there is also the lightning in water, that kind of thing. It's actually really cool to see too. And um, uh, how to say, it's like um, 
it forced you in some way to adapt to the environment. Uh, for example, if you use uh, your fire skill in the in a snowy mountain, it will be less effective. So maybe you will need to do some adjustments. That's something we want players to do, actually. So, yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool idea. So the overall visuals are different because we were mentioning before we started recording here that most ARPGs are fairly cartoonish or stylized. Mm. I mean, like World of Warcraft, you know, Path of Exile looks like Diablo 2 in 3D. Yeah. You know, Diablo 3's got kind of a gritty gothic look, like Torchlight was really mm. sort of cartoonish. And you guys using the Crisis Engine, it's a little more realistic looking. It's a little more like a first-person shooter look. Yeah. So how, how, what are you doing to... You know, how does that work for your approach? It's very crisp and clear and visual. Well, actually, we could could have uh, oriented the game in a, in a cartoonish way, in some way. I, I mean, there is like uh, some. If you look for some uh, Asian uh, MMO on Grindjine, they actually turn the engine into um, into uh, cartoonish looking or um, manga looking uh, way. But uh, for our game, actually, there there were. Two reasons for not orienting the game into um, into uh, very really uh, classical fantasy um, cartoonish uh, way. Uh, first is that the story we want to uh, to tell is uh, is quite uh, is actually quite mature in some way. Uh, there is um, um, not necessarily uh, I mean boobs that kind of thing, which is usually what people say in. Uh, when they say mature stuff, mature scenario, there is actually a real uh, scenario with uh, a ton of stuff to di- to discover, um, like uh, big uh, big um, riddles, that kind of thing. For example, you will need to read some books in the environment uh, you will find in the game and uh, mix the uh, this information with some NPCs information and maybe find a secret place that way, a place that won't be on your minimap. Uh, that that kind of things. And uh, so first, it was a story we wanted to tell, and second is um, uh, I'm actually not a big fan of uh, of cartoonish uh, looking for fantasy. I I think it actually makes it a bit childish in some way, and um, I I basically when we cho- uh, started to talk about the direction of the game, we just say okay, what game do we like? What game we would like to look like? Uh, what can uh, the engine allows us to do uh, without too much work, uh, too much additional work? And actually, Crunchin has such a great uh, light- lighting uh, system that uh, it's actually really easy for us to um, to get a good-looking scene and also uh, make sure that, uh, for example, uh, the, the element we want to highlight will be easily uh, seen on the screen. Um, we still have some work to do on that, uh, but uh, we we knew we know how to do it. And uh, usually, uh, fantasy game uh, for the at least for the isometric one uh, goes for um, for a very cartoonish uh, looking because it actually helps the um, to uh, to see the gameplay. Um, I mean, to see uh, elements in the in the universe is uh, more uh, in a more easier way. Uh, we choose to go another way, uh, also because uh, Crunchin allowed us to do. And so far, we are actually pretty happy of how the game looks, so uh, and how uh, the, the um, interaction are possible, how we can see the enemies, that kind of thing. So we are pretty happy of uh, how it uh, how it goes. 
Yeah, I think it looks nice. It's just a little. It's a little different. And people are used yeah. to kind of the fuzzy-looking cartoonish things. So yeah. it's interesting to see it at it's first. It's really, it's really about how what do you want your your game to be? How what how do you want it to be uh, lived? Uh, how, how do you want uh, the experience to be? That kind of things. And we are more fan of like, uh, as I say, the Elder Scrolls series. Uh, the, uh, for example, well, Witchers, for example. Uh, these are fantasy games that are not really, um, um, how to say, they are not really uh, cartoonish. So we choose to go that way, and here it is. How is your um, your 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 idea for overall tile sets and monster design? I mean, you're you're still generally going with the fantasy style of you know, orc orc looking kind of things and mm. skeletons and dungeons and tombs mm. and all that kind of setting. Um, so. Uh, First about the environment, then about the monster. About the environment, we um, we how to say the the um, there is an open world in Umbra, so there is a, a lot of uh, exteriors uh, stuff. Uh, so we will cover like uh, mountain, swamp, uh, forest, that kind of things. Not desert and uh, not uh, too exotic uh, places. Uh, we want to have like. Um, uh, Almost, yeah, maybe some stuff you can see uh, in uh, uh, in movies like Lord of the Rings. Uh, that's actually one of the, our main reference, visual reference. And uh, we have like um, also some interiors. So the idea for the interiors is that they were built by uh, um, uh, human civilizations that had um, technological advance. So you can expect some kind of tech semi-technological things, uh, close to steampunk, but not exactly steampunk, that kind of thing. Um, and of course, there will be like creeps, some creepy uh, places, but we don't want to go too creepy, uh, simply because we think that Path of, uh, yes, Path of Exile actually did it uh, pretty much uh, and did it well. So we won't really bring anything new if we go that way, except for uh, another with another engine. So we, that's why we, uh, we went in our own... Uh, in our own uh, art, uh, really art direction. We, there will be some creepy place, but only, for example, for the boss fight, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, about the monsters now, uh, the, um, the universe of Umbra is mostly populated with humans. And uh, there is like uh, mutated humans also, some degenerated one. Uh, there is a lot of undead too, that kind of thing. And um, we try to focus um, like on on a humanoid uh, character usually for most of our enemies, and see okay um, some magic stuff happened or some some things happened to him, and he had like a big uh, change on his body, like maybe mutation or uh, or uh, supernatural uh, uh, new powers that change his appearance, that kind of thing. That's the way we orient uh, most of uh, the art direction of the game. Well, so okay. Last question on the the visuals and that sort of thing is is random level design. That's something that's really tricky to do in games, and uh, a lot of games don't do it very well. What I mean, Diablo two had obviously almost everything was randomized, but it tended to be fairly small. Sort of, the, you know, the puzzle pieces were kind of small squares, mm-hmm. and it was it gave sort of a form. You didn't get a lot of sense of place. It was like just sort of desert wastes until you hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Diablo three has gone the other extreme in that, where they have these really large set pieces, like in the cathedrals and stuff. And then it feels kind of repetitious, and you're like, oh, here's this big section with the big round wall kind mm. of thing. 
Uh, so, do you guys have thoughts about how you're handling your random level design? We actually have uh, released a video about uh, about that on our last uh, Kickstarter update. Um, and, uh, well, actually, we are pretty much in the middle of these two systems uh, for two reasons. Uh, first reason is the one you just said. And uh, the second reason is uh, that since we have, have the CryEngine, uh, we want to control the visual uh, uh, visual quality of uh, what players will see. So we want to control where the lights will be. We want to control how the shadow will uh, will be cast. That kind of things. So we are in the middle of um, of both uh, systems. We actually have a system that um, um, I hope to say we have a basic tile for uh, every room. Um, and on top of this room, we uh, randomize what we call prefabs. And prefabs are a collection of walls, uh, or a collection of uh, lights, uh, props, everything uh, everything you can find actually in a, in a room. And we randomize uh, this kind of room. So there will be like um, some rooms. Of course, you, there will be a lot of room like you have already seen them, that kind of thing. Then on top of that, we add also other randomly generated content in these rooms. So uh, for now, the example we give we gave are quite limited. But uh, for example, you can uh, in, a, in a single room you can have, for example, in first place you will be like uh, you will find a table in the middle of the room, for example. And the second time you will come, there will be like chest all over all around the room. So next time there will be like uh, barrels ev- everywhere, that kind of thing. Um, that's the way we uh, we randomize uh, the, uh, the the level, and uh, in the end of that, there is a, um, well one uh, visual uh, variation we can add, which is basically putting decals on the walls and decals on the ground. So we can add dust on the ground, uh, blood on the on the walls too. Uh, it's actually uh, actually really easy to uh, to modify in our uh, game file. It's just XML. You just say, okay, I want a lot of blood in this level. Or I want uh, like a lot of uh, um, I don't know dust or uh, frozen uh, frozen element on the ground that kind of thing. You can so you can modify the game uh, that way, and you can add like modifier a bit like the map modifier mechanics of um, of Path of Exile. So you can add uh, a mechanics where. Um, for example, the ground, uh, the, sorry, the floor will fall on the level, so you will have regularly uh, some rocks falling on the ground, and it actually changes a bit the, the visual, but it also changes the gameplay, which is much more imper- important. So, for example, one single level can have uh, the floor falling, or the next time you play uh, in the similar uh, dungeon, you will see that there is fire everywhere, and you will need to avoid the fire, or you will take damage. That kind of things. So that's the idea we did. Uh, we that's the way we decided to uh, to create our level generation system. And uh, if people get their hand on the CryEngine uh, editor, uh, it's a CryTech product, so we don't redistribute really it uh, directly. Um, it's uh, you will be able to actually create your own uh, prefabs uh, to mod the game actually the way you want, modify your XML or create your own content with your own props if you uh, if you are willing to do so. So. That's a, that's a point uh, which is always good to have. Yeah, that leads me to my last question: is uh, what is your? Um, you said mentioned people can do their own modding on it. What are your long-term plans on this? I mean, are you planning on adding to the team? I mean, if all goes well, 
Do you see um, yourself still working on this game, you know, multiple years from now, or is this sort of a, a shorter-term project, and you want to do, you know, you want to do Umbra Two or something? Uh, if we can to, uh, if we can focus on this game, uh, it will be great. Uh, to be honest, we spent at least four years on it so far. So if we can uh, go for uh, for a long time on it, it will be great. Uh, for modding, for example, if we think that there is like a really nice content that. Uh, that should be added to the game. We will add it to the, to the game. That's uh, that's something we're really uh, looking for. Since uh, basically, uh, for example, I come from the modding uh, co- from modding community. For example, I started on Battlefield 2, then on Crisis. Um, I would love actually to uh, to have some models to create content and then implement them in the game officially. So uh, and you got started as a modder, obviously. So you know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, of course, and that. Something I always, I was always frustrated, for example, on the Battlefield 2 engine. For example, I think we never had, uh, we almost never had any contact with some people at DICE or that kind of thing. So it sucked a bit, you know. Uh, and uh, so that's something we want to uh, to bring for, for people. If there is like really good looking mods, we want to, uh, we want to bring them uh, in the game. And of course, uh, so... Actually, there is already some um, some information about that on our dev blog. So how our build, uh, how our level generation system is created, for what are the parameters in the files, that kind of thing. So we we plan to actually uh, bring some more um, some more uh, documentation about that. It will maybe be video. It will maybe be uh, in a wiki, that kind of thing. It will really depend on the success of the game and how much uh, money basically we can put in it. But that's really something we are looking at. And at, I mean, usually when a game is modable, uh, there is always a small community or a big community that is uh, built uh, around it. And since we are using the current gen, if people get the access to the current gen, they will be able to do a lot of stuff with uh, with our game. The current gen uh, editor, it will be basically the same um, the same tool we are tools we are using for uh, developing the game. We are using the current gen uh, as a as a service uh, access, so we tried to we try to make sure that uh, the game will be uh, available with the free SDK. So that's some technical stuff I'm bringing here. But for example, there is like the free SDK which is totally free, and the engine as a access which is uh, for for pay for on the subscription model. We try to um, to have a lot of compatibility with the free SDK too for people who don't want to pay but uh, still create, for example, new weapons, small contents, that kind of stuff. Sounds pretty cool. So, what last question? What is the um, what is your time frame here? What is your ETA? You mentioned there's going to be a new, uh, you know, when are you thinking about public beta at some point? What are your yes. what are your goals? So, um, well, first, uh, people who pledge like uh, I think it's forty dollars on the Kickstarter will get their hands on our prototype uh, two months in like one or two months, just the time to uh, make sure we can organize co- correctly after the Kickstarter. Uh, so they will get the prototype and be able to uh, test a bit uh, how how it looks. It will just be a, a glimpse, basically, of what will uh, will happen in the in the future. Uh, in the prototype, for example, there is no real uh, gameplay balance at all. Uh, the prototype was designed for uh, five minutes um, uh, game session at the game developer conference a few uh, few months ago. So there is no real gameplay in it, but it's already a good uh, a good glimpse of what will come. And then around November 2015, we will start the alpha of the game. Uh, it will be a technical alpha in the first place, but we aim to have like a weekly update, at least weekly weekly update. 
and bring more content regularly, uh, fix some uh, balance issues, uh, expand the world a bit every time, uh, every update. Um, and uh, we aim to deliver the final game around October 2016. And uh, the beta should start like, we think the beta will start six months before, once we, uh, we, once we will have most of the content of the game implemented. Uh, but it may change in, in, the, in the future. We can't be very precise about this right now. Well, I mean, good plan. I, I will hopefully we can check in with you guys, you know, maybe next year and see where you're going then, and yeah, how sure. how project how how the you know community interaction. As you mm. say, if you're going to interact with the community, you will get a lot of new ideas and different yes. concepts. And we actually have a small team. Yeah. Your small team, you can't do everything immediately, but you'll make your best effort. Yeah, actually, we uh, we already. Um, we had like a lot of wish lists on our uh, Kickstarter for the stretch goal, and we actually implemented some of them in the, our uh, in our stretch goal. So the community's ideas are actually great usually, and not always difficult to uh, to create. And that's actually really nice addition uh, we can bring to the game. Okay, well, thanks for your time, Daniel. Good Thank luck you. with your game, and you've been listening to the podcast on PC Invasion, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. And um, that's, that's Umbra. If you want to check it out, and we'll have links and you know posted links to all your material on the when the interview goes up. So thanks well, for your was, time, man. It was great to uh, to answer your question here. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you. Good luck. Bye bye. Bye.